This episode of Star Trek Monthly Monday is dedicated to the memory of Anne Crispin, a science fiction writer who is most notable for writing a lot of Star Trek and Star Wars novels and was just a very nice person and a very good writer, and we're going to miss her. And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy The Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Mr. Scott, shall we give the Enterprise a proper shakedown? I would say it's time for that, sir. I... Before this drama unfolds, we give welcome to the ones named Kirk and Spock. You! What planet is this? Which one of you is the captain? Violate the treaty, Captain. Sir, someone is stealing the Enterprise. What are you scratching at? <laughs> Humans make illogical decisions. And welcome to Star Trek Monthly Monday, number 55. Yes, Star Trek Monthly Monday from the Two True Freaks Network. I am Chris Honeywell. I am here with my bestest buddy all the way from Florida, <laughs> Scott Gardner. Friend, friend, Scott. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Oh, good lord. Well, I'll tell you what, I like Cyrano Jones a whole hell of a lot better than I like Harry Mudd, who I think was who this was originally supposed to be in the oh, episode. Thank but... God it wasn't yeah. Harry Mudd. I, yeah, they're very similar characters, but somehow I, I like Cyrano Jones a lot better. He's just, he's more likable. You know who could play Cyrano Jones if, if he put on a little weight? Who's that? Our buddy Mike Cross. <laughs> they got the same sort of face. Except Cyrano Jones just has about like fifty pounds on him, but if if you if you if you uh you know filled him up with food, gave him a Randy Gardner haircut, and and dabbed his face with grease, <laughs> <laughs> he reminds me of uh, of the dad in Gremlins. What's who's that actor? Hoyt, oh, Hoyt Axton. Axton. Yeah. No, yeah. Hoyt. A- but you see, but Hoyt Axton's got that just that mellow, you know. 
pleasant voice. This guy's got the like, well, you know, he's acting, but he's got the right. weedly, you know, just yeah. <laughs> yep. Uh, saying that he's better than Harry Mudd is definitely faint praise. <laughs> well, isn't everybody? Yeah, that's what it comes down to. Well, well, well. Before we get going on this, I think we should just explain it's a little different episode this time because there's going to be no comics and unfortunately no Star Trek The Next Generation because we're doing a double duty mm-hmm. this month. And, uh, you know, it's sort of like we're making a big deal out of it, but it's funny because this episode was never really that big a deal for either of us. I can't say the same about the rest of Star Trek world. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a double duty. We're doing The Trouble with Tribbles. And on, uh, it was your idea, but uh, we're, we're uh, also doing the Deep Space Nine episode, Trials and Tribulations. Yep. Which just, just seems like a natural. Yep. Which is great because I've always wanted an excuse to watch that because I was always curious to see how they were going to Forrest Gump. Or, um, that's, oh, well, that's, that's exactly what they did. Yeah, Forrest Gump was, uh, was very like, new at, at that time. So, yeah. Well, seeing as how that episode actually has Woody Allen in it, it was more like... (laughs) Before we get into all that... um, Yeah, getting ahead of ourselves. Well, I I just wanted to throw something out there. There, There's been something that's been kind of on my mind, kind of needling me, and I I just wanted to kind of briefly address it here without without getting uh, whatever. I I just wanted to kind of address it. There was there was a thread on the on on uh, our Facebook group recently um, involving Star Trek and and DS Nine and all kinds of different things, and I kept seeing the same types of posts over and over again about oh Scott hates you know the next generation and Scott hates Captain Picard and Scott hates DS Nine and Scott hates you know <laughs> Captain Cisco. And it really started to get on my nerves after a while because I feel like I was being misrepresented, like like maybe I'd been misheard somewhere along the line. Um, so I just want to reiterate, I love Star Trek. That's why we do this show. If I hated it, I wouldn't be doing this. Right. I mean, I don't wouldn't have... be able to drag you in front of a microphone to do yeah. it with your actual real life going on. I don't have that much fire in me for the things that I really do hate, the things that really do irk me to where I could sit down and do 55 episodes about <laughs> right. it, you know? And then there's some things that seriously piss me off. So <laughs> you got you to gotta understand, I, I really it bothers me because I feel like, wow, have I really just not been understood properly all this time? A lot of my taking the piss out of Picard is just that. Taking the piss out of him. It's fun. I like Picard. It is fun. He's a, he's an easy target. You know, he's that he's that kid you pick on on the bus or whatever. You know, I mean, I like Picard. I really do. But it was it was a slow burn, and we're not yet to the episodes where I came around. You know what I mean? Where I was finally like, you know, this Picard guy's not so bad. We're just not there yet in our coverage. We'll get there. Even when we get there, there, I'm there sure yet. we'll still pick on him. Yeah, absolutely. I will always pick on him because at the end of the day, in my mind, and this is just my opinion, you're welcome to have your own, but in my mind, nobody measures up to Kirk. Kirk's the man. 
And as much as I came to really like Picard, and again, I really do like Picard. I think he's a he's a very good captain. He's a very different kind of captain. But I am endlessly amused by the fact that they took seven seasons of Next Gen to get away from that argument and get away from that thing of him. He's a different kind of captain. He's not Kirk. He's just as valid, blah, blah, blah. And then the very first movie that they make, who comes to have to save his ass? Captain Kirk. And it kind of, to me, it both validated my personal opinion of Picard, which was he's never going to be Kirk. And it kind of undid everything they worked so hard to do, which was he's just as valid. Well, no, he's not. He's a wussy old fart because he got knocked on his ass and he needed James T. Kirk to come save him. <laughs> now, I'm saying that kind of, you know, tongue in cheek, but my but compared point to is, James T. Kirk, who isn't a wussy old fart? Well, exactly. It's it's Kirk. All right. So the, the thing with this thread or this whatever the hell you call him on Facebook <laughs> the thing that really annoyed me was the, the, the whole topic was, I forget exactly how it was worded, but it was essentially... It was like Cisco's the greatest Cisco's captain. the greatest, yeah. I stayed Cisco's out of it because I had no idea what anybody was talking about, but yeah. Cisco's the greatest and here's why, which instantly irritated the hell out of me because he's <laughs> not only... Not only is he not the greatest, he is the worst of the entire lot, and that includes Janeway. I have multitudes of reasons, you know, I, I, I don't have to, we don't have time in this show for me to go into why he just plain is. He just, oh, everything that I can't stand about officious, ineffectual, whoop, you know, just wussy ass leadership. He embodies all of it. He couldn't make a decision. He cried constantly about everything. He bitched. He complained. He wasn't happy. Uh, it was just everything that I don't like about real life people that make it into positions of authority and then suck at it. He embodies. That's why I don't like him because he just was not a good commander. He didn't embody the the things that I think make up a truly great leader. And in this case, a starship captain. And by this point, we had had two at least, you know, if you count Kirk and Picard, you know, just Kirk and Picard. And if you also want to throw, say, Christopher Pike in there, although we only only ever got just, you know, a, a brief glimpse. glimpse of him. Yeah. But, you know, there had been examples of other captains. So he there was a template to go by. And I understand that they were trying to make a different kind of show. And we're going to get into that later on when we talk more about DS9 later in the episode. I understand all that. And I respect that they wanted to try to do something a little bit different. But essentially... That's my beef with DS9 as a as a whole is that, OK, you want to do something different. That's fine. But there are certain core elements that make Star Trek. Mm -hmm. And when you strip enough of them away, suddenly you don't have Star Trek anymore. And that's what DS9 got wrong is that they went too far with let's make this different to where, yeah, it's different. All right. It's not really Star Trek. So. Feel free to write in and take me to task or flame me on Facebook or whatever the hell you want to do. But I just felt the need to kind of defend myself. I don't hate any aspect of Star Trek, well, except for the new ones, you know, the, the new films. Because, right. again, I feel like they're Star Trek either. But I watched all of DS9. And occasionally I'll pop in an episode or pop in a season or whatever. I, there are things that I really like out of it. Just because I, I, you think Cisco isn't the best captain or just because you think he's actually the worst captain doesn't mean that you hate him. 
Exactly. Is what I mean. Exactly. I I just don't like I I don't like the portrayal. Uh, you know the way the character is played. I you know it's nothing personal against the actor, although I'm led to believe he's now batshit crazy from what everybody says. But yeah, it, it was just. It just doesn't add up to what I want out of out of my Star Trek. Right. But you know, we'll get into it a little bit later because on the on the flip side, you know, and here I am being completely mercurial again. But I like the episode that we're going to talk about. It, it's actually, I think, a really solid episode. So we'll get into all that. But again, I, I just kind of felt the need to to kind of you know clear that up and just kind of defend myself because I felt like, Jesus, is this really what people think of me? Because no, I. I'm actually I consider myself a huge fan of Next Generation. I, I really, really enjoy that show. And you know, again, over time, we've committed to talking about every single episode of yeah. it. So uh, I hope yeah. I would hope so. Yeah, I, like I say, I, I would. I don't have that much, you know, piss and vinegar to, to right. talk. I'm the media masters that I don't like. So exactly. So anyway, that's all I wanted to say about that. Well, <laughs> and that's a conversation killer. It actually it makes me want to watch DS9 and and see what's up with it. I'm trying to remember what time. season of Next Gen we'll get to when when because see Next Gen and DS9 ran concurrently right. for a while, but I want to say it was late in Next Gen's. I want to say like season uh, five, five six. six. It was yeah. it was late. It was late, because uh, you know it's it's. I don't know. Maybe if we, if we have time while we're discussing, if I if I get a moment, I'll try to look that up. I, I honestly can't remember, because what year did uh, did uh, Next Gen go off the air? It went off the air in like ninety three. I want to like say it was the early nineties. I know that. And the episode that we're gonna look at of DS Nine was in its what? Fifth season episode. five, episode six. Yeah, it was in its fifth episode, which was in '96. So that means it started in '91. So yeah, about two years. So yeah, about the fifth season, I think, of of Next Gen was when uh, DS9 fired up. I do believe. Yeah, that's that. I figured right. it was post Next Generation because it had Worf and uh, what's his O'Brien. Well, see Worf. Yeah. Um, you know, of course, he was on the Enterprise and all that. And then, when uh, when the Enterprise uh, D was destroyed in Generations, Worf actually reposts, and that's how he gets posted to DS Nine. He he comes there while essentially they're all homeless because you know the Enterprise was destroyed because it's all referenced in the first episode with him. Uh, and again, you know. Like I said, I feel like I take a lot of flack about DS9. That's when I thought the show got really good. When when Worf comes onto that show, that's when to start. If you ever want to start watching it and you don't feel like wading through the couple of really, really bad uh, first couple of seasons of DS9, start with, uh, I'm trying to remember what season it was. It's three or four, I think, when Worf comes aboard. Because that's like the season opener is like, okay, Worf's here now. And that's when the show actually started getting really good. There's still some really, really horrible clunkers in there, but there's some really good stuff too, because you know he develops a relationship with one of the crew, and and uh, yeah, it, it's it's some good stuff. I need to rewatch it because it's been an awfully long time. But I'll be damned if I'm going to go back and watch those the early seasons again. I watched them once, and that once was 
enough. Some of the 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 pre-warf episodes are just brutal, man. I mean, they're they're rough. They're they're rough in like a horrible '90s TV kind of rough way, you know. But yeah, now I'm gonna take all kinds of shit for saying that. But <laughs> sorry, it's just I just don't think it holds. You know, people want to talk smack about the early seasons of uh, of TNG. Man, I'll watch that stuff every day over having to go back and revisit those early uh, seasons of. Uh, of DS9. Of course, Voyager's the same way. Voyager pre-7 of 9 is some shit, too. So. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> well, I'm looking forward to four years in the future when we have <laughs> to decide what we're going to do, Voyager or Deep Space Nine. Well, I say if we live long enough, we just keep, uh, we just keep plugging away, because eventually we'll get to where, at least for a little while... Uh, Next Gen and DS9 will play concurrently, and then eventually, you know, TNG goes off the air and goes into films, and then there was DS9, and then for a while, DS9 and Voyager ran concurrently. But the cool thing with that was, is neither one affected the other, because they were in completely different, you know, parts of the universe, essentially. So, and there actually was a really cool, uh, not really a crossover but there's a, a minor storyline that begins on DS9 and wraps up on Voyager, which is kind of neat. Uh. So, yeah, there's a couple of couple of them like that. Comic style. Yeah, yeah, it was cool. Call back to an to an early uh, DS9 episode. Uh. All right. Oh, wait, so was that? A, wait a minute. No, you know, you know what? No, no. I think about that. I might be wrong. It might have been a TNG. What it was is there was these there was a, this uh, wormhole opens up. And it's not stable, and a couple of Ferengi guys in a shuttlecraft go into it, and then it shuts behind them, and then they're screwed. They're like trapped in another part of the universe, and you know it was meant like as a little comedic throwaway type of thing, you know, where the they see the wormhole close, they both look at each other, and they're like, <gasps> and that's the last you ever see of them. And then years later in Voyager, it picks up with those guys, whatever became of them. But now that I think about it, I think that's a TNG episode, not a DS9 episode. I was thinking it was DS9 because the big thing with DS9 was that stupid wormhole that was like right off the station. Oh, okay. You know, and the probably all you saw. If if this is the only episode, I just saw the opening seen, credits. That's all. Then yeah, that that wormhole that opens right at the beginning, or right at the tail end of the credit sequence. That's that's the one. I knew it was but, some sort of Stargate style thing yeah. going on with it, but that's about all I really knew. Yeah, we'll get into all that though. First, we should probably cover the uh, the TOS episode proper, right? Oh yes. Are you ready right. to dive? Did you have any Star Trek uh, news? And no, I haven't. I haven't had anything Star Trekky happen. Not me either. It's a shame. It's been kind of quiet in the world of Star. You know what? There was one thing. I just thought of this. There was a, a commercial I caught on TV the other day. I guess the the latest Trek films about to come out on uh, DVD. Oh and yeah. There was a commercial that said the best reviewed film of the year, and I'm like. Uh, where? Because so. none of the reviews I saw oh, said no, it, anything flattering. So I was oh, really no, surprised. It got, it's, it's sitting at like 79 on the tomato meter or something like that. Something ridiculous really? like that. Yep. Hmm. Yep. Very strange. 
I know there was a big, uh, there was a poll that was, I don't know who did the poll. Yeah, right. It's and a the, poll circulating on Facebook where, uh, according to the fans or, you know, the people that voted, it was voted the absolute worst movie well, I think, of the series, which I, that's saying something. I think that the the these two Abrams Star Trek movies were just so so flashy and glitzy and a lot of people really liked them, but the shine isn't staying on them very long. No, you know people who are like, yeah, I kind of enjoyed that movie in the theater. Or start, you know, they start bumping it around in their brains, going, yeah, you know what? Not really. <laughs> the more well, I think about it, the more I don't like it. But I didn't kind, I kind of didn't like it to begin with. So, well, the thing is, that's that's funny. The thing I and I think I've said this before, so I won't belabor the point. But I, I think ultimately for me, the big thing I, I wish that had been different with these. You know, if, if we had to have them the way that we had them, then the one change that I would make is remove the whole Spock Prime element from remove the whole original universe element. Yeah. Because what I suspect is going to happen over time, eventually I think these two movies are going to be bargain bin movies. And here's yeah. why. Because I, I think, it, except for the element that attempts to tie them into the original version of Star Trek, they are essentially another one in a long list of TV shows that got retooled and reinvented for the big screen. And, you know, there's been a million of them. There were Starsky and Hutch and Charlie's Angels. And yep. somebody said the other day, Dukes of Hazard. Dukes I don't of Hazzard. Oh, Hazzard sure. Yeah. Was it had Johnny Knoxville in it. And huh, I must have missed that. One. It had that. I mean, not that I'd go to see it anyway, but I missed that. It was, it was you know, directed. Beverly Hillbillies. Yep. You know, so there's there's been a million of them, and if you go to your you know your local whatever Best Buy or Walmart, you'll find all those in the bar because they're the all Flintstones. shit. Yeah, yeah, the and throwaway I, stuff. Yeah, exactly. And I think ultimately, that's where these will wind up too. I, I think a lot of people are kind of you know relegating them mentally into that realm already, mm-hmm. which. It sucks, but ultimately I'm okay with that. Well, you see, that that's means... what they get for not being a Star Trek movie. Because mm-hmm. when you're a Star Trek movie, you have elements that last. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. That, that last the test of time. That don't just last the hour. That don't just keep you entertained that hour and a half. Your ass is in the seat. So yeah. they chose. They chose not to put those elements in it. They chose to make it all. All glitz and glamour and flash and and fun, which made it makes it pretty for the eyes and entertaining to watch. But that's it, you know. That's it. There's nothing to think about in it. There's nothing to ponder or any, you know, anything about the characters. Anything. So that, one nice I, I, another thing I want to add to that. Is I've heard there also, if you want to get all the cutscenes and extras, you have to buy it like in three different forms. You have to buy like the Blu-ray, and then there's like a Blu-ray that I can't remember what country it is, but you know, like the Yugoslavian Blu-ray has some other ones in iTunes. So you have to buy like three different versions of it if you want to get all the extras and stuff. That's ridiculous. Yeah, it costs like I guess like a hundred and ten dollars to if you wanted to buy all the stuff to see everything, which just means everybody's gonna torrent that shit, and serves them right. Yep, I agree. That's why torrents oh. were invented. 
Yeah, even with that, I'm I haven't bothered. Well, that's I what I'm thinking. I'm I like, will. I don't really give a shit <laughs> whether yeah. I see any of the bonus material. It's not going to make it better, I don't think. Not interested. Well, what I like the the nice side effect with this is because you know when the first movie came out and and everybody and their brother loved it, but me seemingly. I, I really feared that that's, the, that was kind of the, the nail in the coffin for the Trek that I like. But, you know, with this new one, and, and it's very, very mixed reviews, and, and it's even bigger, I think, split of the fandom, I sure have heard an awful lot of talk lately about possibly a new series and, you know, some new incarnation of, like, the original trek universe coming back in some form or fashion so i think people are actually starting to get a little bit nostalgic I think this, for I, I think star trek the second one actually the first one when the first one came out i remember specifically and i always love articles by the onion and this one was like you know star trek fans outraged that new movie will not feature long boring scenes around you know um around a table you know discussing galactic politics and stuff like that and you know and they were really making fun of the trekkies you know going this is a real star trek and stuff everybody was just going you know just go with it and then the second one came out and it's sort of the fruit that was born from the first one and people weren't joking about it much anymore as a matter of fact the conversation was started up going is you know is this really a star trek movie (laughs) right and (laughs) (coughs) <coughs> it's a shame that it takes a really crappy Star Trek movie to do that. They should have figured that out with Nemesis a long time ago, but well, I'll take what I can get. We need to sit down and do Nemesis one of these days as a commentary or just a, a straight-up oh. conversational episode, because I, I do not understand why you Ugh. and most everybody I know yeah, is so really down on that too. movie. And I'm not I know down, you do, and I, I, really I can't it. figure it out. I really can't, because... Viscerally did not like that movie. I, I, I just kinda, got I the... Teen, that one. I just got the, like, scholastic teenager adaptation novelization <laughs> of that crash <laughs> okay. A whole pile of like Jedi Apprentice, Young Indiana Jones, and and like hmm. I think Spider Man, the the adaptation of the first the the first Spider Man, the movie. Yeah, the one, oh, yeah, okay. Raimi one. Ah, uh, okay. Eh. But yeah, I I <laughs> guess I haven't seen. I only saw it that once in the theater, and it really was like, I was like, well, I'm never gonna watch that again. I walked out fuming, fuming and fussing and disgruntled. So, yeah, <laughs> we'll definitely have to see what it's like to view it. I just don't see me warming up to it. All right, but we're getting way off topic. Yes, we are. Captain's log, star date 4523.3. Deep Space Station K-7 signals near or total disaster. State the nature of your emergency. It's a triple. (laughs) This morning I found out that he had babies. They do indeed have one redeeming characteristic. What's that? They do not talk too much. This is my chicken sandwich and coffee. I want these things off the ship. I don't care if it takes every man away we've got. I want them off the ship.
think I've got it. All we have to do is stop feeding them. Once we stop feeding them, they stop breeding. All right, so this is a second season episode, original uh, series, The Trouble with Tribbles. Synopsis for this one reads, After rushing to respond to a Priority One distress call from Deep Space Station K-7, Kirk finds only a bureaucrat named Niles Barris, his assistant Arn Darvin, and tons of a hybrid grain called Quadrotriticale. I hope that word doesn't come up again because I really can't pronounce that. (laughs) Barris informs Kirk that the grain is bound for Sherman's planet. And anyway, every time I hear that, I think of Sherman from Sherman and Peabody. Yes, right, right. I think that every time. Sherman, set the Wayback Machine your planet. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, Bound for Sherman's planet and orders him to guard it carefully. Both the Federation and the Klingons lay claim to Sherman's planet. Under the terms of the Organian Peace Treaty, the side that proves most efficient in developing this new world will gain possession of it. Angered by Barris's misuse of the Priority One channel, Kirk begrudgingly posts only two guards around the grain bin and orders surely for all off-duty personnel. When Uhura comes to the station to shop, she meets Cyrano Jones, a roving entrepreneur who gives her his latest find, a Tribble. Uhura takes the Tribble back to the ship and soon finds that they breed very rapidly. In no time, the Tribble population and she grows. finds out the hard way. <laughs> In no time, the Tribble population grows to disquieting proportions. After discovering Tribbles in the ship's food processor, Kirk races to the grain bins. Uh, as he guessed, the bins are filled with Tribbles as well. While Barris rants, Spock notes that many of their Tribbles are dead. McCoy later confirms that the grain is poisoned, and Kirk discovers that Darwin is a Klingon spy. That's a very dry synopsis for what is a, hmm, how would you describe this? Kooky episode. Comedic. It's definitely a comedic. Mm-hmm. Right down to, like, physical comedy. Yeah. Yeah. And stuff. Yeah. With varying degrees of <laughs> success so what do you what do you think of the trouble I can't remember if you're a fan of this one or not I wouldn't say I'm not a fan of it any more than any other one I think right. it's a good episode I think uh, David Gerald is a really good writer of dialogue yep so the dialogue crackles in this um, you know he really he really has fun with the different characters you know, with Spock and McCoy and and their interplay. And it has the feel of someone for the first time who instead of writing for a Star Trek episode, it's like, oh, this new um, science fiction TV show. Okay, give me the... It, he was writing it almost like he was a fan. And he was. Right. He was really young. And it was like a big break for him. Right. There's an enthusiasm to it. And, you know, you could tell he was really happy to be writing um, Kirk, Kirk's dialogue, especially. Um, he, has, he has a lot of fun with Kirk without, without exaggerating him. You know, you get, 
you you get to see Kirk firing on all cylinders, but not in a in a under complete pressure mode. He's kind of bemused and annoyed in it. And it's 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 a really good episode. My problem with it isn't in the episode so much and just as how this has been blown up to be like the Star Trek episode. Amen. If somebody makes a diorama of Star Trek, it's going to be Kirk piled up in tribbles, you know, or fighting the Gorn, you know. But it's sort of like, you know, when people think of I Love Lucy, they think of, of you know, the conveyor belt. Input. Fighting Midgemin or whatever. The, yeah. That one, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And maybe, and I, it was a very popular episode. It's been just, I mean, David Gerald's written his book on it. There's been a sequel to it in Deep Space Nine and in the animated. So it's just been, I remember the first Star Trek calendar I got the cover of it was Kirk in the pile of Tribbles. And it's just. Right. Yeah, it's just held up, you know. And the only reason I don't really get too angry about it is that people do acknowledge, um, like, City on the Edge of Forever. Right. You know, when they're talking about... If if it comes down to, like, if TV Guide is going to be saying, what's the greatest episode of Star Trek? They're probably going to say City on the Edge of Forever rather than Trouble with Tribbles. And right. that keeps me from going completely apeshit about it. <laughs> you know? So, but I mean, I enjoyed watching it. I, I, it was fun. I went next door to Scott's. He has a TV with the fake. It, it has real 3D if the if the source is in 3D, but it'll take just any image and make it 3D. So we watched both of these episodes with the 3D glasses, which is a mixed blessing because late at night those 3D glasses they strobe. They're actually electronic, and I think it kind of hypnotizes you. You know, kind of makes you a little groggy afterwards because i was ready for bed after watching both episodes but they did a reasonable 3d and once again on netflix i think it was a remastered version because the enterprise and the space station looked slick um man i wanted the the model kit i think it was the amf model kit of that space station yeah so bad when i was a kid Oh my god, I can't remember who had it. Somebody I knew had it, and I just... Oh, I was so jealous. What's funny is that in the original version of this, before they did the uh, the CGI update, which I agree looks fantastic, the Enterprise seen out the window in several shots was an actual model from the model kit that was sold around that time. Oh, really? I I think that's hysterical. I I think that's really funny. I thought it was cool that they put the Enterprise in the window, but it didn't have to be in the window every time. Right. That you cut to that, and they sort of stuck it in the window every time. But, uh, you know, the people remastered... They didn't have much to remaster on this one, so... Right. You gotta... gotta, And they were like, ooh, we get to do the Trouble with Trouble, so... They had to do something. I, I think they touched up. I, I I didn't go back to compare or anything, but I think they may have touched up the screen that Scotty's looking at when he's reading his his technical oh, yes. journals, just because it looked like high def. Yeah, you know it what looked I mean? like fractal technology and stuff, and it was all really shaded colors and stuff. Yeah, I'm. I think they did when he was reading his technical. It probably looked like microfilm, you know, before. 
mm-hmm. or what do they call it? Microfiche. Microfiche, yeah. Yeah, a lot of them did in the in those old episodes. It did. It looked like they were pulling it up off of like a library. Off, yeah, film like strip. it was lit from underneath. Yeah, film strip. That's what I was thinking of. Yeah. Yeah, I can always tell the remastered ones because the first time you see Spock talking close up, you can see his smoker's teeth. Same with Scotty. <laughs> those two must have been smoking like a pack a day. They needed some topal <laughs> tooth polish. <laughs> I uh, see. I think you th- you summed it up really good because I was gonna say that I've never really been a huge fan of this episode. That that's not really true. I like the episode. I, I like it a lot. As far as comedic romps go, it's arguably the best one of the series. But see, I'm not a fan of the comedic romp uh, when right. it comes to something that's that's serious you occasionally need them to kind of lighten the tone and everything but my problem with this is exactly what you said is that i think that for some strange reason in a lot of people's minds and i and i tend to think of them more as outsiders than insiders and and i hope that doesn't insult anybody listening in our audience but what I mean by that is, I, it, it's kind of like Star Trek Four syndrome. You ask the average man on the street who could give a rat's ass about Star Trek, what's your favorite Star Trek film? For the longest time, people would say, "Oh, the one with the whales. I like that one." But it was because it was very easy and you know very easily accessible. You didn't have to know anything about the mythology or the characters to just get a kick out of it. it was, you know, it's a good, fun romp. I think this episode is much the same way. I think it's easily accessible to people that, frankly, don't really care about Star Trek. But when you're a fan, I don't know that this is a lot of fans' favorite episode. Although, consistently, this damn episode seems to wind up either number one or number two on those lists Mm -hmm. that they put out every so often of the favorite episode of Star Trek. And I don't get it because I don't think... It's got a lot of things going for it. I mean, David Gerald was also kind of an egomaniac self-promoter, so he wrote a book about it. Mm-hmm. Um, tribbles are like one of the most easily marketable things you could sell oh, from, from yeah. Star Trek. So there was Tribbles. You know, there it just had a lot of... And, I mean, we've seen it so many times, but it is a genuinely funny episode, and it, it, it is. It has a, and you know what I like about it? It has a lot of Scotty. Be, like you, you get to, it shades in Scotty's character, not, not really well, but a, a little more than usual. You know, you get the whole thing of where he loves his technical manuals and all that, but there's also a sort of. Um, and this actually got explored in the new in the into darkness movie for better for to, to not really a reasonable end or anything but there's there's a little bit of um, you know the whole thing of where Scotty <laughs> Scotty loves the ship more than he loves Kirk <laughs> you know than he loves than anything and Scotty there's a lot of where Kirk's the captain. But Scotty runs it, you know, makes the ship run, and he sort of not really foils Kirk, but has staked out his own little territory where he can sort of get away with stuff, you know. When when Kirk, you know, questions everybody about who threw the the first punch, that's that's a very amusing scene, and you can see Kirk battling with 
with the assessment of, of uh, Koloth as, you know, a tin-plated, you know, minor dictator with delusions of godhood or whatever, which actually was pretty right on the nose. <laughs> pretty much exactly right. And Scotty didn't have to tell him that. He could have just said, oh, he was saying bad things about you, Captain, or whatever. But Scotty made sure he, <laughs> he quote-unquoted it. And, uh, and and then sort of gets away with it, you know? And I, I like that aspect of it. I mean, it still brings a chuckle. And the, the, the physical timing of the Tribbles dropping out and just periodically hitting Kirk in the head was very funny. Um, I think in those shows, not as much even from the audience's point of view, but there comes a time when the actors just want to do a show where they get to be use their comic chops you know so this this one gave everybody a chance to to bounce jokes off each other it did and and i like that you know there are really some really really good lines of dialogue there's some very good character you know interactions and interplay Mm -hmm. between um you know like between scotty and Chekhov, between uh, Bones and and Spock, but I think ultimately what what bugs me is that I don't think Kirk has a particularly good showing in this episode. He acts a little out of character, I think, with especially when he first arrives to the station and he keeps double repeating everything that Barris says to him. That's... The what? The what? You know, the grain, the grain, and it's and it just was like. That's kind of goofy. He never I, really does that in I any other episode. Impr- yes, I, I agree with you. And when I was saying Scott McGregor is like, what is with the skipping record thing? I think that was Shatner trying to be like, I'll throw some humor into it, you know? Or so I think it was a misguided, I bet it was something Shatner came up with. That's just the the feel I get from it. And it's I, I should dig out the Ger- David Gerald book because it's got the script in it. But I, n- now that I'm thinking about it, it's probably the screenplay. So it probably says what he said and not what was written in the working script. Right. So, but yeah, that was that was kind of weird because it was taking on that, uh, you know, almost 30s, 40s, 50s style of of uh, madcap comedy. You know, fast, right. fast talking and quick back and forths. And an immediate, you know, Kirk immediately has a foil. You know, he immediately has this guy, and it's one of those situations where it's somebody that you don't, you instantly don't like. But at the same time, not only did Kirk not like him, he totally didn't respect him at all. He had no respect for him whatsoever, and was and was just blunt about it. You know, just. Basically, I think he said it outright. You know, I have respect for the position, right? And uh, and just took every opportunity to sort of goad the guy and stuff, which I have to say is fun because it's fun watching Shatner do it as Kirk and stuff. But it is it's it's a little out of character. But I I got the impression it's because we're seeing Kirk. In a sort of more relaxed, th- you know, Kirk's, Kirk's like, hey, I've been saving the galaxy and fighting for my life, <laughs> you know, every episode. And now this one, it's just a little quibble between this dick and this dick. 
what do I care? You know, well, we're here. I'll put everybody on shore leave, but I'm not going to get, I'm not going to get too emotionally involved in this. So he's just sort of like got a little bit of detachment and humor about it because probably if he didn't keep a sense of humor about it, he's going to punch one. You know, there's probably at least three people there that he'd want to punch in the teeth. So I think this episode sorely needs that. <laughs> it got a lot of punching. Oh, I got a lot of punching, but Kirk Not doesn't Kirk. do anything especially Kirk-like no. in this episode. And that's one of the reasons it, it bothers me is I think everybody else gets their moment to shine. I mean, definitely, except for Sulu, who's not in the episode, all of the seven dwarves get their little yep. moments in this yep. episode, which really adds Chekhov to the episode. Chekhov gets to be a space racist. Yeah, but Kirk, who, again... I think the story is about, I don't think he has a particularly good showing in this because what does he do? He he insults Barris constantly, which is funny. He has some really good zingers in there. He spends a lot of time sitting around with Spock, drinking coffee and bitching about his job. And <laughs> then he's kind of the buffoon at the end of the episode that they dump all the tribbles onto. And that's pretty much all he does in this episode it's not quintessential Kirk. And I think well, if you're going to take an episode of any TV series and prop it up and say, this is the best one that we ever oh, produced, yeah. then it damn well better be a quintessential episode. It better have the best elements of the best characters in that series. Otherwise, you're misrepresenting yourself. See, that's, and that's, Kirk comes off as kind of a dumbass in this well, episode. That's, that's and I, I think it's it a bad show. That's what makes it hard because we're taking the... You know, I mean, I by no means look at this as a quintessential. I I look at this show as a lark, you know. Right. This was, yes. This was yeah. just fun, and as a lark, it's a great one. And actually, as the buff, like Kirk is the buffoon. It's more like here's Kirk. He, he's James T. Kirk, legendary captain. But at that time, he's not as much legendary as he is infamous. And a lot of people are jealous. There's a lot of definite hatred of him and his methods because it's been proven especially in this one that starfleet is mostly made up of officious you know pricks and it it looks like they took all the people with real personalities and said jesus get him out of here put him on the enterprise with kirk you know and that's how kirk got his quality crew i found it very strange that kirk would deliver the line i know it is a good zinger but it's not true, where he tells Barris, he says, you know, I have never questioned the intelligence of any Federation representative. And then he walks away, and then he stops, and he goes, until now. And then he keeps walking. I'm thinking, that's a great zinger. But every single one of them you've dealt with has been an asshole. <laughs> I so, think maybe he uses that zinger on every single one. On all of them. <laughs> <laughs> so good. It's, why use it once? Exactly. <laughs> but, you know, I where was I? I can't remember where I was going with it, but it's oh and i think kirk getting covered with tribbles is perfectly symbolic because here here comes kirk he's just doing his thing and all of a sudden these bureaucrats are manipulating him by you know making him you know crying wolf basically playing the boy who cried wolf and making him rush there under red alert and you know he doesn't like being manipulated and basically, it's just everything, symbolically, everything's getting dumped on Kirk. He's just Speaking of dumped, dumped on, on Kirk. And then he comes out, but he comes out 
like a million dollars at the end. You know, he comes out smelling like a rose and not like a Klingon. Speaking of dumped on Kirk, do you remember when we went to see Witness, the yeah. Harrison Ford? Oh, God, of course I remember that. That was great. Do you remember how he took out one of the bad guys in that movie? You mean with the punch right straight to the face? <laughs> you mean well, the ice that... cream cone incident? No, oh, I like that moment, too. But no, there's one toward the end of the movie where they all come to the farm to kill him. Oh. And he tricks one of them into going into the, the grain haylock. silo. Yeah, and then he yeah. opens the grain silo and drowns the guy in, in grain, suffocates him, essentially. Yes. Kirk opens that overhead hatch when the when the one that slides to the side, you know, on his level won't open. He opens the overhead one. If that thing hadn't been full of tribbles, he you was know, setting up that... He would have been... Wouldn't he have been? Well, if that no, was essentially because, a grain silo. Because people would have been... Spock and everybody would have been, like, digging in and grabbing him and pulling, out, pulling him out, I'm sure. But if they didn't pull him out fast... Hey, that grain's pretty heavy. It's a dense thing. You don't want too much of it piled onto you. Right. But you could probably... You could probably live... In a, yeah, he pro- but it would have been... It wouldn't have been a humorous situation. Somebody would have been pissed. Somebody's going to have to yes. clean that up. Yes. You know? And then you've got them, you know, you've got the poor, you know, station custodian, you know, he's got to get in there with his shop vac and put all that, you know, back in, up in the, you know, somebody's not going to be happy with Kirk. So, I, you know, I realize it's, it's, it's all set up. It's supposed to be a comedic moment. But when you think about it that way, with the internal logic of it, you think somebody would have stopped him and gone, you know, you might not want to open that because you're hey, going to kill yourself. Hey, you know you can get in those from the top. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, why don't we just go up to the top and, and you know take a look in? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but then you don't get the you don't get the gag of him covered in tribbles. So. Which I, I'm telling you is a good gag. Well, the first time I saw it when I was a kid, I was it was hilarious. You know, it was it was wonderful. So. And you're not, you don't see Kirk in many slapstick. You see, I think all the comedy worked a lot better when it involved the characters we knew. When it involved Cyrano Jones and the bartender and stuff like that, it was all very broad and and doofy. You know, it was like a comedy TV show with Cyrano walking around with his drink and untouched until the very end. And then, you know. The little zinger of the bartender stealing it, and then the little extra zinger of him having another one in his with musical cues and all that. I always thought that was cheesy, even as a kid. But I love the stuff of all the crew doing doing their thing. I was, I, it was pretty funny watching uh, Chekhov was doing a little Mackin on Uhura. Who? Yeah, that's that's true. Yeah, it does seem like they uh, was, they were kind of together in take, the scene. taking her shopping, you know. <laughs> he might have been, you know, he was probably friend zone, knowing Chekhov. So, I would, I would think he was, he would be considerably younger than her, but yeah, I don't he know. might have had a crush on her, and I don't think Chekhov would have had the mojo to, <laughs> to, to work her, especially since she's been working in close quarters with Kirk, and then to bring in Chekhov, and that, I mean, they really bring it, you know, it's, it's weird, Chekhov's like Russian nationalism just seems really out of place in Star Trek once you look in the the broader world of Star Trek that we have now the the more like 
pure Roddenberry world, you know, those distinctions would be would be gone. But then again, I think maybe they stuck all those guys in the Enterprise, you know. Well, I mean, according to to legend, you know, Roddenberry's legend about um, right. Chekhov, you know, he brought him in there so that there was somebody in there to represent the the Russians who at the time, you know, were very important with the space race. You know, they were our adversaries in the space race. Mm-hmm. And they did beat us to a lot of firsts in space. You know, they had the first satellite, they had the first human being, uh, you know, that walked in space, that sort of thing. So, I mean, yeah, there were... I could see where there, you know, there's that possibility, but you know, in reality, he was kind of brought in to appeal to the the monkeys crowd, you well, know, yeah, Davy yeah. Jones and all that. But still, I mean, it's 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 that it's that time period, and once again, you've got Uhura, who's, you know, I mean, I mean, that was a big deal to have a, a you know, our deadly enemy by that time is is buddies with Kirk, and you know, be, right. you know, Kirk's like, so what do you think, you know? And and they're they're co they're they're working together on a ship, so we've gotten past all that. That was a pretty big deal, and and having yeah. a black woman on the bridge was a big deal. But then when you have these character moments with Uhura, and she's just the most sexist portrayal of a, like a woman, you know. Oh, I want to buy something. Ooh, sell me a tribble. Oh, you know, she's just completely. I mean, you would think Kirk would be writing her up for for getting tribbles all over his ship that's downright hazardous and you know i mean it's funny for about 10 seconds and then they're in the machinery and in engineering and then it's not funny anymore another thing that was funny but not funny when you think about it is all those tribbles that got beamed over to the klingon ship yeah that's a good joke but then you start thinking about what the klingons probably did to those tribbles they would have probably been better off beamed into space and dying instantly. See, that's what my wife said. See, I wonder how this episode holds up today with first timers. Because I watched this uh, with my wife and my youngest son, and both of them did a whole lot more eye rolling and saying, wow, this is a really mm-hmm. cheesy episode compared to other episodes that you know they may have you know they may watch something like say doomsday machine or tholian web and have their moments where they go okay that's really cheesy but but at the end of it they're like wow that was really good i really enjoyed that despite the effects which is what we used to say when we were kids watching these we'd go yeah the effects suck but that was a great episode you know it was it had a really good story this one not so much and that's what my wife took away from this episode was at the very end of it the little thing that they're all sitting around chuckling about on the bridge, she's like, no, wait, what about the poor Tribbles? They're going to get massacred by these Klingons, yeah. and that's not funny. And no, actually, it's really not funny. Yeah, those Klingons are just going to go down there and, and phaser the hell out of them right. at, at best. At best. They're, but the Klingons are probably going to beam them into the vacuum of space. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it is. it is humorous. And I mean... And Kirk is shocked and horrified at the idea that Scotty might have beamed them into space, too. So, yeah, right. so that, that, you know, you can hang that one on David Gerald. Well, I, I just want to know, again, one of those according to legend kind of things, supposedly Koloth was going to be 
a recurring character, a recurring foil for Kirk, because Roddenberry wanted Kirk to basically have a nemesis, and it was going to be Koloth. Could you have found a wussier, prissier, sissier guy to play a Klingon than Trelane? Exactly. I mean, Klingon. I, I can't get past that. Every time I see this episode, I'm like, okay, I really like William Campbell, but I like him as somebody like Trelane, you know, Space Liberace. I, as a Klingon, I don't see it. I, I really don't. Yeah, you don't see many foppish Klingons. You know? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <That's what I laughs> <mean>. exactly. <laughs> foppish. Well, the Klingons were not developed in this because they're so no. stumpy and, and they're just people. They're not even that swarthy and, you know, dark and greasy as they get in in other episodes. They're just sort of guys dressed up in Klingon outfits, extras, and uh, which it's just sort of funny because they're supposed to be this, you know, badass race. But even Kirk is just, he's nonplussed by having Klingons walking around the ship. As a matter See, I, of fact, he's kind of, he was kind of... You know, he kind of mediated that whole right. shore leave for the Klingons just to piss off Pricko there. See, I think they should have swapped roles with William Campbell, and I have no idea the actor's name or the character's name, but the guy that essentially starts the fight in the bar, that Klingon, whatever, yeah. whatever the hell his name is, they should have flip-flopped the two of them because as... TV, you know, original series Klingons go, he's kind of that quintessential, because he was a little swarthier, he's got the bushier, you he's know... He's got the, beard, uh, the greasy the, beard yeah, and yeah. mustache. Yeah. The, the greasy Fu Manchu mustache. I yeah. love that. When, when Scott McGregor and I were watching that, when Scotty does the slow turn and like, don't you think you'd better rephrase that? <laughs> we both were like, it's Randy Gardner. <laughs> the body language, the haircut, everything, the, the like, the like look just like out of the squinted eyes of yep. like where he's looking forward. And then he looks over to the Klingon. And he's like, don't you think you might want to rephrase that? <laughs> and then he decks him. <laughs> Now that guy, the other guy, mm-hmm. it, is was that guy? Did that guy used to be? Would was he like a stunt stand-in for Kirk, or something? Because when he starts, the other guy at the table. Yeah, because when he starts, yes, yes, when yes. he starts fighting, Scott McGregor and I are like, that guy's body language is totally like whenever Kirk had a stand-in, you know, like on in Space Seed and stuff. And the guy fought like Kirk's stand-in. So I'm like, that guy's got to be... And then when we get into that's, the next episode, there were a couple other things that sort of gave me a clue to that. What that well, that's why they the make was. the gag right. in the DS9 episode where where O'Brien says, oh my God, that's There's Kirk. Church. That was a gag because that guy was Shatner's stunt double. Yeah, that's why they did that. Totally, which I, I You could totally out. tell because from behind, he had that like... Okay, I look like Kirk, but I'm a little, you know, thicker and huskier. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. It also makes a lot of sense the way he was chucking people around, too. <laughs> well, that guy, we I think we completely, at least I think we did. I, I could be wrong. But there was an episode that we covered a while back. I think it was a, I think it was a first season episode. 
I think. Anyway, remember the, the Next Generation episode where there was the old Admiral comes on the ship, and it was a horrible makeup job? Mm-hmm. And he slowly gets younger over the yes. entire course of the of the episode. Jameson, I think, was his name. Yes. He starts and out then, looking like the guy at the end of 2001 A Space Odyssey when he gets there. <laughs> right. And down on the planet, there was that like military prick that was doing something, killing people or something. And he wanted Jameson to come there to mediate so that he could kill him or something, right. remember? Right. I it's a it's a shit episode. But anyway. The guy down on the planet, the one that was dressed in, like, camo fatigues, is the same actor as the guy who, the Klingon that started the fight in this. And I think we missed Uh that when we covered that episode, but it is the same dude. Uh Uh-huh. I I, I have no idea what his name is, though. Now, remember back in the day how we used to make fun of Michael Jackson? What do you mean, back in the day? I still do. (laughs) Well... I think Michael Jackson was a big Star Trek nerd because I think he got his jacket from that bartender, man. (laughs) That is definitely a Michael Jackson jacket 20 years ahead of time. (laughs) There were some weird, just weird out of place things like a Michael Jackson um, jacket. So maybe some real time travelers have decided to mess with this episode so they went <laughs> back in time and gave the costume people a Michael Jackson jacket or something. But what's with um what's with um Koloth and all that cussing, man? I've never heard such such language in the 60s show. Here, I'll play the clip. Darwin, you know, Tom. I have nothing to say. All right, I poisoned the grain, take them away. And the tribbles had nothing to do with it. I don't know. I never saw one before in my life, and I hope I never see one of those f***ing miserable things again. I'm certain that can be arranged, Darwin. Guards? See what I mean, man? That's <laughs> horrifying. I had to bleep it for the show. I don't remember them getting away with that. They must have cut that on Channel 11 when we watched it as kids. It probably switched to another episode halfway through it or something. <laughs> now that it's on Netflix, I can leave that, that stuff up there, but shocking. <laughs> Did you ever have the photo novel to this one? I do. I still do have the photo novel to this one. Yeah, yeah, I do too. Yeah, I forgot to mention that another, another incarnation of this. Yep. Ah, kids today—they'll never know the joy of photo novels. They were fun. I liked photo novels. They still make photo novels. Do they? They still make them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they made photo novels of. All the star they, just a few years ago, they came out with photo novels of all the Star Wars movies, right up to uh, one through six. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I've seen some for the for cert, uh, some of the Clone Wars episodes. Mm-hmm. Now that yeah. you say that, yeah, 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 I forgot yeah. about that. Yeah, that's right. So it's not it's not a lost art, uh, quote unquote, art form. Art form. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I have a little uh, a little like book set where it has like a sleeve and everything, and it's got. I don't know, four or five episodes? I know this is one of them. I can't remember any of the other ones that are in there. I think the one with the pizza creatures is in there, too, if I remember right. Well, I think I think I've got one for the clone... I've got one for all six Star Wars movies and Clone Wars, but it's the the first Clone Wars, the micro-series one. Ah. Uh, by the guy who did uh, Samurai Jack. That'd be cool. 
It's really good. Yeah, that was a really good series anyway. Yeah, it was. It was. Huh. Very, very Star Wars-y, but we're in Star Trek. We didn't really have uh, have time to do it this time, so we'll just briefly mention there was also there was a sequel to this episode in the animated series. I'm trying. What was the name of that? Was it More Tribbles, More Troubles? More Tribbles, More Troubles, and yeah. in that one, the Tribbles didn't multiply. They they put a fix on the Tribbles, so to speak. Oh, they got huge. But they That's got right. big. Yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, because Kirk keeps pushing that giant one out of his chair. Yeah. It's sort of like the chaos theory time. from Jurassic Park of where, you, you know, you can just keep trying to retool science, but, or nature, but it'll just find a way to, to piss on you. <laughs> I, I think that. David Gerald wrote that episode, too. I think so. I think you're right. Yeah, I remember Kirk pushing the, the giant tri- uh, triple out of his chair, and then I remember they had this red monstrous some kind that was supposed to eat the tribbles or something that's about all i can really oh, remember that's right seen. a natural predator yeah yeah have to watch that sometime i, I like was gonna propose the throwing... moving tribbles all were like long versions because they had to stick them over like dog toys you know walking right dog. <laughs> yep do you have a triple i do not have a triple I do. I have one that uh, somebody said. I want to say it might have been Eric Peterson. I think somebody sent me one a while back. It's not a. It's not like a real one. It's not you know. Of course, it's not one from the show. Which I guess you can actually buy those. They're out there. There's got to be know, a the lot of them. Show used ones. Mm-hmm. Um, mine, I think. Yeah, I if I remember right, I think you pull a string and it it like vibrates. It or vibrates. Something. I've seen those too. Yeah. But there are some that are out there that. Uh, you know, really sophisticated these days that have you know a little sound chip in them and a little bit of a, a you know like a coo and a and like a like a little uh, motion to them and everything. I saw some. You know, what I think it was. I think it was that when we were at uh, Kennedy Space Center. I think they had some there, but they were expensive. They were. I wonder like, if they freak out when you get them near a Klingon. That would be cool. That would be cool if there was a setting where you could make it do that little freak out thing. Because yeah. I like that. <laughs> well, did you see what Kirk like? When he's out in the Klingon spy, he's sadistic. He's just he gets there. right in the guy's he's, face. He's going like, Rrr! but then he's just going, eh, 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 like a, he was like a schoolyard bully. He was just sitting there like, yeah, take that. I think he was just amused by the fact that these guys that are supposed to be, you know, space badasses. It's essentially it's like the yeah. elephant and the mouse yes. syndrome. You know, they're yes. terrified by these <laughs> cute little fuzzy balls of fur it, it, it is you know kind of hysterical when you think about it that way but these aren't exactly the most uh you know they testosterone laden no klingons anyway they're they're kind of the wuss klingons no, in this one. definitely some girly klingons well they were <laughs> on a mission they were on a mission to you know over grain on a planet or something so i'm sure they didn't send the a-team off for that you know <laughs> Well, the one that, uh, that you know, retroactively, of course, the one that I think has been kind of made to be a badass is, I don't know if you ever read it, Chris, but there was a great series that IDW did a number of years ago. It was uh, Star Trek Klingons Blood Will Tell. It was a miniseries. I want to say I it was I might like have a couple of those. Five or six issues, I think. Yeah, I might not have the whole series, but I think I have some of those. 
there was an issue with that. I think it's the second issue that tells the whole story of Arn Darvin, the spy, and everything that he went through in order to prep for that mission. And it kind of makes the guy out to be something of a badass. And uh, and I really liked that. It was a really it was probably my favorite issue of that series. But that series was really good because it it takes a look at several of the classic uh, Klingon encounters in TOS and kind of gives you more of the story, fills in yeah, some of the backstory, the backstory. And, and plays it out a little bit. And uh, they were that was a really good series. That was uh, the Tiptons wrote that, I think. And it was it was good. I, I enjoyed that a lot. Well, I mean, that's some commitment to. I mean, I imagine in the, if you're in the Klingon army, you you there's not really you're not going to say no to anything, but right. just to to be permanently turned into a human, which is like repulsive to them too, right? And and all that just for this one mission. Yeah, that's pretty. And if he screws it up, he's just going to be pretty much dropped. Right. So, yeah. He is kind of a badass. Doesn't put up much of a fight when he's caught. <laughs> but That is essentially what happens to him, too. You know, he ends up, you know, kind of uh, on the outs. Yeah, with the whole, with the whole, that would, that would have to suck. He gave up his whole life for this mission. The mission goes south, and then they just... You know, cut him loose. Yeah, his whole life ruined for a comedy episode of Star Trek. <laughs> for a few cheap laughs. Poor bastard. Yeah. Well, I think that's a good uh, point to end this one and get ready to start moving into the next one. Cool. We're going to take a little break, Let's play focus some promos. On the poor bastard, yes. <laughs> okay. We'll be right back. Now, introducing the We're Alive Fancast, a fancast dedicated to a story of survival. Hey, this is Mick. This is Redbeard. We would like to introduce our new fancast, in which we will be covering season four of the zombie podcast audio drama known as We're Alive. Join us as we review each episode as it comes out, leading into the conclusion of this great zombie story. We can be found at mickred.com, that's M-I-C-K-R-E-D.com, or by searching for We're Alive Fancasts on iTunes and Facebook. Gather together from the far reaches of the internet are assembled a network of podcasts dedicated to the first and greatest superhero, Superman. The Superman Podcast Network is dedicated to covering all aspects of the Superman legend, featuring the thrilling adventures of Superman, Golden Age Superman, the Superman Fan Podcast, Superman in the Bronze Age, from Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast. The Schuster Herald Podcast. It's Superman. The Carousel Podcast. The Amateur Steel. A John Henry Allen Podcast. The world's best podcast. And Radio Kale from supermanhomepage.com. Join hosts Michael Bradley, John Wilson, Billy Hogan. 
Charlie Niemeyer. J. David Weeder. Jeffrey Taylor. Michael Bailey. Scott Gardner. Sam Rizzo. Danny Sapp. Matthew Epps. I'm Isaac. I'm Adam. Dave Eunice and co-host Scotty V. At supermanpodcastnetwork.com. All right, we're back. It's Star Trek Monthly and Monday, number 55. And don't worry, you don't have to get confused over whether it's old school or next generation. Because there's only one episode, and now it's neither. It's <laughs> uncharted territory in Star Trek Monthly Monday. It's not a Star Trek comic. It's not old school Kirk. It's not the next generation, although it is a little old school Kirk. We are doing a Deep Space Nine episode. My first Deep Space Nine episode ever. First I've dun, ever dun, seen dun. a whole episode of Deep S- Space Nine. I've I've had it playing in the background on the TV before or something, but I purposely never watched it because I knew I wouldn't know what the hell was going on. <laughs> What'd you think of this? Well, actually, let's let's give a little uh, synopsis. Now, I have nothing pre-written for this one, folks. Because there's, uh, there's really not a whole lot of uh, synopsis for this one. Here, here's right. essentially the story. So, you know, in the D- DS9 timeline, which is, you know, a hundred years later from the trouble with Tribbles. Now, this episode was written and produced as a love letter to TOS, to the original Star Trek, because... This was produced on the 30th anniversary of the original airing of, of the very first Star Trek episode. So they, they wanted they were looking for something where they could go back and they could kind of honor the original Star Trek. And they, they tossed around a whole bunch of ideas, some of which were really goofy, some of which were, were kind of cool. God, like going imagine back if the, they went to Gary Mitchell. Yeah. That would, well, they, that they were actually thinking. They were thinking about going back to uh, to Charlie X, which I think could have been very, very interesting. But they were, you know, they tossed that idea around. They tossed the idea around of going back to the gangster planet and seeing what had developed with them. But eventually they went with this idea of let's go back and send the DS9 crew into the Trouble with Tribbles episode. So all you really need to know about this one is that uh, how they get there, essentially. Arn Darvin, who wound up, somehow he wound up trapped in Cardassian space, he's rescued, essentially, by the DS9 crew on their uh, on their ship, the Defiant, brings aboard with him one of those stupid Bajoran orb things. This one is uh, the Orb of Time. And he uses it to send himself and the DS9 crew and their ship back a hundred years in time and space, as it turns out, to essentially the very beginning of the Trouble with Tribbles episode so that he can go over to the station and assassinate Kirk. And that's pretty much the episode. And so the DS9 crew have to figure out, for one, what the hell's going on and how to stop it. And the way that they do that is they go old school. They dig out some old uniforms and they go in, you know, in uh, disguise both to the station and to the Enterprise, and they actually interact with the original crew and everything as they're trying to track down Darwin and this plot and stop the assassination. And 
I got to be honest, I love this episode. I think this is a really, really fantastic episode of uh, of DS9. It could it's have been got everything really cheesy and stupid. It, it could have been. I actually like this better than The Trouble with Tribbles because it has a, a more serious tone to it. Mm-hmm. And the comedy really works in this one. Not that it doesn't really work in, in Trouble with Tribbles, but it, it, it seems like it, like it just flows better i guess it feels a little more natural the comedy in this one is definitely aimed at the fans yes and with easter eggs and references and stuff which again makes it sound like it could be really cheesy but they but sometimes it's laugh out laugh out loud funny you know yes when um in the beginning when the what what are they the temporal temporal cops or whatever come to take a report Uh and uh you know, they mentioned James T. Kirk, and he's like, that's right, the James T. Kirk. And they're like, oh, my God, he was the worst. <laughs> I just started cracking up. I'm like, of course that's what temporal continuity would would think. They're like, he just flaunted, you know, temporal rules. And I thought that was a great, great line. What do you call it when you take a word and you scramble up all the letters an to make anagram? another word? Anagram. Those two guys, I can't remember what their names are, but they those characters do have names. Their names are anagrams of uh, Scully and Mulder from the X-Files. Oh, that's funny. That's the why X- when, when one of them, I think it's Cisco, asked them, what is it that you want or something, one of them says the truth. Yeah. It, it was all an in-joke. Because, well, and uh, one guy says something like, I believe you, or I would have done the same thing. And the other person, and they, that yeah. was a very Sculler scull- and Muldy. Scully and Mulder moment. See, I think that's one of the the reasons. If I, you know, if I were to sit down and and, and really think about it, okay, why do I like this one so much? I think that's probably the secret to why I really dig this one. Beyond the fact that it's a well written episode, it's well acted, it's a lot of fun. I think the reason I like it better than the original episode that they're going back to is that it by having and showing that hero worship of Kirk, it adds the element that I feel is missing from the trouble with tribbles where Kirk doesn't come off very well in my mind in this, he comes off great because there's that hero element is that everybody is, you know, wow, it's the enterprise. It's Kirk. I, I, I want to meet him. I want to, you know, shake his hand or get his autograph. I love that. I, I love that element to it that's what makes the episode for me yeah they get little moments where you know they get to enjoy them totally without kirk you know when when o'brien and the other guy get get hauled up and bitched out by kirk (laughs) a high point of their lives probably you know Mm -hmm. and it's just it's hilarious and uh you know, it'd be like going back in time and having like Douglas MacArthur yell at you or something. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that that so stuff we- was great, and it was it was totally. I mean, the 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 basically the the cast of Deep Space Nine were playing were like the proxy version of the Star Trek fans. Yes, they 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 were enthusiasts of that of that era of Starfleet. And, you know, it was like the Wild West, probably. What I loved was was that... Kirk was Lone Ranger or, or, you know, Hopalong Kid or something. What I liked was that each 
type of viewer had an analog. You had the serious geek with Dax who was like, oh my god, I remember this. How cool would it be to go do this? How cool is it that I'm doing this, you know, here and I'm wearing this uniform and I'm holding this equipment? So she was like the hardcore trekker. Right. And then at the complete other end of the spectrum, you had Bashir, which is like, I don't know shit about what's going on. I, I don't know anything about this time period. I'm completely out of my element. So you had that going for you too which i'm sure there had to have been people that were watching ds9 and really into that show that had never seen a classic episode of trek that were like i don't know anything about that you know it's it's the crazy uncle and i'm not interested kind of thing so i love that they incorporated that into the episode itself i thought that was really brilliant writing yeah, it was. A, I do, it was man. a love letter. I mean, story-wise, there were a million holes. Though that that orb is obviously just a, the most convenient, you know, plot device ever. It's the only time I can, on a quick recollection, it's been a while since I've watched DS9 in its entirety, and like I say, I'm I'm due for a rewatch. But on a, on a quick recollection, this is the only time I was ever forgiving. Of the whole thing with the with the prophets and the orb and, and yeah. just there's a whole it's mythology. Too fantasy. It's fan. That's yes. fantasy. Yes, yes, it is very that's much for Star Wars. There was a whole mythology with DS9. I mean, a lot of the early part of DS9 was built heavily on a mythology that involved the Bajorans, their political situation, the wormhole, the prophets. And these orbs, none of which I gave a shit about. And that was one of my big problems with this is that it, 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 I don't know. I always got the feeling that they were trying to mirror some sort of real world uh, social, political, religious analog type of thing. And well, I care so little about that in the real right. world. Why would I care about that in a, in a fantasy world? And it just... Those episodes are just grown worthy to me. As much as I really came to like, um, oh damn, who was the girl or not girl, but who was the woman that you were so excited to meet at um, Dragon Con? Oh, um, Nurse Ratchet, Louise Fletcher. Nurse Ratchet, Louise Fletcher. As much as I came to really like her character on the show, she was a bitch, but she played an awesome bitch. You know, she was really, really good. She was Nurse Ratchet. And, yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. As, as much as I came to like her character and her character arc, every time one of the episodes would start and it would be picking up again with the whole thread with, with the Bajorans and their whole religion, I would just be like, ah, oh, not a, I would just kill me. I know, a lot of them are like that. I noticed when we were queuing this up on Netflix that a lot of the names of the titles of the show were like biblical Yes. Whether quotes from biblical, you know, like like easily, re- you know, recognizable biblical quotes or just words that were very, you know, uh, prof- you know, referring to prophecy right. and, and apocalypse and stuff like that. And it was very it's in and I'm and I was looking at it going, man, the, the titles are because th- this episode's very lighthearted. But it looked like all the titles of everything around it were very heavy, man. And uh, that's what I've always heard about it. This was the sort of Dark Knight version of Star Trek where it was like, 
yeah. a little grittier and realistic, you know, type of thing, or closer to the bone style. And I didn't find that at all with this episode, but I under I pretty much no. figured. Now, I, I have some questions about some of the characters. Absolutely. The one, the one woman, who's like. What what is her deal? Is she some sort of like nymphomaniac? Because she's just like <laughs> always talking about like she had sex with McCoy and she's old. I take it because if she had sex with McCoy when he was Lenny McCoy before he became a doctor, and you know, and she obviously had a thing for aliens and well, you know, other species because she was, you know, she was hot to see Koloth in his prime. Oh, I would mm-hmm. like to run into him in his prime and. She was always making little little comments, and she was she was uh, getting all hot and bothered about Spock. What is her deal? Is she some sort of she, old, like ancient sex alien or something? She was easily my favorite character I can on see the why. series. Of course, um, yeah. because for one, it's Terry Farrell, and Terry Farrell is an absolute babe. She's gorgeous, and. I'm not sure what her main claim to fame before DS9 was, but I know one of the big ones is that she did a photo shoot in Playboy, which is, uh, but uh, I liked her a lot as a, you know, I mean, again, I like her as an actress, but also I I liked her as a character. So her deal is she's a trill and she comes from this race of people where at a certain age, they're, I guess they're selected and they become basically the people the, the the humanoid form are hosts they're they're just i don't know if they're bred for this or they live for this or whatever but they get to a particular age and they become hosts for a symbiotic organism that it looks essentially like a space herpy from uh, ice pirates uh-huh. Uh-huh. and it gets inserted like into their midsection like in their guts and it and it fuses and bonds with them and they become essentially a whole different person. They they become uh, like a hybrid, you know, a, a hybrid person. In her particular case, I always felt like Dax, you know, Jadzia Dax wasn't really a, a character because she seemed much more in tune with the symbiote and the and the history and the backstory of that character more than she seemed like she was bringing anything of herself her her identity before she became a, a joined being to the table anyway that's why um cisco refers to her as old man all the time because he had been friends with her prior host uh, uh, who was an old man it was an old man it was kind of kind of his mentor kind of his obi-wan figure and when he died then Jadzia became the new host. So the symbiote hasn't changed, just the host. So she's actually lived by this point like several lives. And the and the the symbiotic organism is, you know, however at least a century old, probably older than that, and has lived multiple lifetimes with multiple different hosts. She's just the latest one. And uh she's a great character. She was honestly um her and Worf were the things that kept me watching DS9 because uh, she's an interesting character and she goes very, very interesting places. They have some really great storylines with her. Some uh, some actually broke some TV taboos well, yep. because there was an episode where um, one of her prior 
I want to say it was actually her spouse, I think, in a prior lifetime comes aboard, you know, this is also a trill, comes aboard the station. And so this was, all right, let me see if I can explain it right. The, the, the symbiotic organism that's in this other person was a spouse to Jadzia's symbiotic organism in another host. Now they're both in female bodies. Oh yeah, but, yeah. There you go. I did, and I but they sort want of to. That's where that one's going. Oh yeah. So you know they want to kind of, and and this is considered a, a strict taboo of their culture that once your the host dies and joins with a new person, they're supposed to forego any attachments that they had in their prior life because essentially they are supposed to treat themselves. Different as if they are a new person entirely yeah, they are and it's and it's to respect the new host so that the symbiote isn't just picking up where it left off it, it is supposed to basically adopt a new life and in this particular instance these two loved each other so much that they find themselves coming together again even though they're in completely new forms and somebody in the in the uh whatever you know the call in the damn i'm blanking on the word i want to use but another trill essentially learns of this and then they're in the shit because they're breaking all the rules you know and uh it was it was a solid episode that dealt with something that tv really hadn't dealt with much up to that point it's a really good episode i like that one a lot and uh and there were other episodes they did like that too with you know the whole uh, dynamic of you know past lives and different hosts and that it, it was really that really so, good. It sounds like they were trying to get a little bit of sexy time um, ratings too. Oh yeah, yeah. It was a very very controversial. Which I'm episode. sure Gene Roddenberry was gone by that time. So oh, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. So he would have appreciated that though. Yeah. But uh, it, it you know much later in the series it plays out again. We actually see that dynamic played out, where uh, I don't want to spoil it for you, but the hosts, the uh, symbiote has to change hosts, and how that affects the dynamic of the show, and that's really good too because by that time, you know all kinds of different things had happened with characters on the show, and when the host changes. It changes the entire dynamic again, and uh, really good stuff. The last few seasons of the show are actually, a, you know, there's some really solid stuff in there. What I get a kick out of in this, it just makes me laugh because ultimately, to me, the the guy most responsible for the things that I don't like with DS9, the the complaints that I have with it, is this guy uh, Ira Bear, who they brought in to essentially create and and set the ground rules for ds9 and i just i i don't know if it was his assignment so much as maybe the guy just didn't get it because he has said on record that he's very proud of this episode but at the same rate he came to greatly resent that most people do consider this episode to be the best episode of <laughs> Yeah. And he resents that very much because he feels that it's not exactly representative of DS9. Right. That's what I like about it. 
<laughs> because they're doing in this episode what I always felt all of the latter Star Trek should have done. They should have been a little more TOS, and they should have had that sense of awe and uh, an homage to DOS more than they did, especially DS9, which up to this point, you know, watching it, you know, regularly through the episodes, I always kind of felt was was kind of pissing on TOS, like they just didn't have any real respect for it because it was so completely different and dark. And with this episode, they did a complete 180, man. They all of a sudden, you know, you find out that Cisco is a huge Kirk fan and that, you know, certain of the characters are just they're in hog heaven being able to go back to that era and and see the Enterprise and interact with Well, with think about Think about going back in time and going to, a, you know, an old world's fair. Oh, yeah. Or, you know, just anything, you know, and just uh, your typical Midwestern 50s town, idyllic town and walking around it, you know, and seeing it all brand new or, you know, or, or even like front, you know, settler days and stuff like that. It would, you know, you'd be walking around and going, oh, my God, look, it's a stagecoach. Mm-hmm. Oh, and you and you would start seeing things that you'd never seen before because you'd only seen history books and movies. So you exactly. would see little things that never got picked up and stuff, and you would just be freaking out, you know. Especially yep. if you were an enthusiast of that time period. So, yeah, I love that. It reminded me of that Next Generation show where Max Headroom shows up. Yes. And he's just like, oh, and now Picard makes a decision to do this. And he's, you know, marching through everything as, as if he's marching through a history book. See, I don't I don't think he's got really anything to, you know, to be that upset about. Because if you look at both well, next it's sort gen... sort of the curse of what happened with Troubles with, with Tribbles, too. So there you go. Right. You know, you look at uh, you look at next gen, and you look at especially say Enterprise. You know, most people will agree that the best episodes of Enterprise was that two parter, where it's, you know it's essentially a, a, a return to TOS. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it's the the most popular episode, but easily in the top five of most popular episodes of uh, next gen. It's it's one that we haven't gotten to yet, but it's the one where Scotty comes on the ship, and there's huge homages in that episode to TOS where they actually recreate the bridge of the Enterprise you know the old Enterprise on the holodeck and and Mm -hmm. Picard and Scotty hang out in it for a while so I mean it's those type of elements you know there's a reason why TOS still almost 50 years later is what it is people love it it's important to people and it you know it was just it set the the template for the shows so I can see where he could be irritated by the fact that he wanted to create something that was entirely different. And what's the one episode everybody loves is the one that's, you know, slavishly devoted to TOS. But I think that should have been a clue is like, yeah, this we want more of this. Stop getting off over in these dark corners. Well, and give me more of this. Well, the thing about it is, is and I think there's this stupid element of there and and fans can ruin shit by saying we want exactly this we want the same thing that we got before 
or whatever, and that can that can stymie something creatively. Right. But with Star Trek, it's not like saying like say they made a new Dukes of Hazard TV show, and you're like, yeah, this isn't the Dukes of Hazard. I want the real Dukes of Hazard. You know, give me that. So if you wanted to do the real Dukes of Hazard, it's the same show every week with just variations on <laughs> right. a theme. It right. is. Right. The commercials came at the same time, and it, and when that commercial came, you know, the third commercial in, the the freaking General Lee was in the air and freeze-framed. You know, same with the Incredible Hulk. You could time it out. But with Star Trek, the what makes it Star Trek is such a, it's a, such a broad framework. It's not who the people are. It's not what the ships look like. It's an idea. Of how the stories, how the stories would be told, and how the world, that how that world worked, and how that world got there, and how people thought in that world, and you know, you you, you had the general consensus that I always, the general idea I always got from it was Starfleet was an officious group, but it was built upon. You know, very idealistic views of exploration and fairness, you know, and just general boy scoutiness in space. Sort of a, um, sort of the best um, elements of militarism, you know, and patriotism. But instead of patriotism, it's more like go human race because. The world had gotten to that point, you know. They'd gotten to the point where they could get along with each other, to where and once you start meeting aliens, you start thinking of yourself more as from the planet Earth rather than from, you know, you know, um, you know, um, Carthage, New York. So, and and to also to sort of hang. They don't even have to be like close to the bone social issues, but. You know, social issues, philosophical ideas, and people always hang that on Star Trek, but it's really just something that was from science fiction, of like taking taking the present, interpolating it into the future, and then seeing how something that's happening today, oh, say you know, if this if this that's happening today goes so far what's the future going to be like and you make up a future where it's an industrial wasteland or something or where the aliens have taken over or whatever but it's also a way to comment on now and people think of that as being preachy or stupid but it doesn't have to be and it, and it was sometimes in Star Trek but other times it was good. It was a good way to start a conversation, and it made for an interesting show. And it's been it, that's sort of been lost. You know, they you can't turn Star Trek into a space opera. It just won't work. It won't. It will can, just. It will stop being what it is. I agree, and ultimately, that's that's my core issue with DS Nine. It's not that it's a, a, a bad show. As science fiction, some of the episodes are really, really good. Um, some of the storylines are really, really good. The, the problem is, is that you've chosen to tell these stories in an established universe that has an established backstory and an established set of rules. 
So when you suddenly decide, I want to make this new show that's grim and gritty and explores the dark corners and and kicks over rocks to expose the the you know the you know the bugs and the dirty underbelly and all that sort of thing why in the hell would you choose to set that in a world that was purposely set up to be positive and hopeful about the future right. and well you could have at- those bugs and dirty things but in the end you know the spirit the the spirit of exploration and goodwill wins out you know right and it and it really doesn't with this show because when it all wraps up at the end i don't get a sense at the end of it that we've explored the human condition and we've decided that the future is is still a bright positive sunny place where we're all going to live happily and be well taken care of i don't get that sense from this I get this sense that at the end of it, it's still, wow, it's dangerous out there. And right. that's not the message that I think that Gene Roddenberry wanted to send. Well, I, that, I'm a firm that believer that was, Roddenberry wouldn't have liked this show. I don't, I don't I, think they'd have gotten away with it when he was alive. I, I tend to agree with you like that, with that. But I'll, I'll say this. In, in the original Star Trek, space was a dangerous place. You had... You're constantly finding dead spaceships full of entire wiped out crews and whole colonies. No, but I mean, it wasn't it but, wasn't us that was taking the 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 badness out there. We as a human race, by the no, we would come and mop it up in and Star try Trek, to, try to fix it. Is yeah, we had gotten our shit together collectively as a species, and we had become the the good people that we hope to be earth was okay disease had been you know wiped out in hunger and strife and want and now for challenge we were out there exploring the unknown we but we weren't we were no longer a flawed people it was more that show is about or less exploration or less flawed and they purposely went into this show with the idea of it can't be like that it can't if you if you shown the light over here you're gonna find out that this wonderful utopian society is all bullshit man it's all built on you know this or that and i it's still ego and greed i hate that shit because it, it to me it's just as insulting as these damn revisionists that want to look back on, on the history of America and say, well, you know, yeah, you know, if it's such a great country, then how come they allowed this and how come they slaughtered these people and how come they did all these awful things? And it's like you're missing the point of what this was all about. And I and I really hate that because that's not what Star Trek in its purest form well, I, was about. I always it was figured- about a message of hope. It was really at that time the only message of hope. Because everybody else that had been sending a positive message about the future, for the most part, those people were gone now. So Star Trek really was that that last... It was a continuation of the Arthur C. Clarks and the Isaac Asimovs and the Ray Bradburys and the Harlan Ellisons. Exactly. I mean... And by the time of the 90s, when DS9 is coming out, that's a time, I would think... More than ever, you need to reaffirm that message because now you're in the era of, of a lot of like Terminator and Mad Max yeah, type dystopia. Where, nobody yeah, tr- nobody the trusts the government. 
Yeah, nobody trusts the government or the world's just a complete shit place to live. Everything's trying to kill you. It's a nuclear wasteland or whatever. That was the future everywhere else. And that conversation again. I love this conversation. Why in the world would you take the last bastion of, hey, you know what? Future's going to rock. It's going to be awesome. Yeah. We're going to be okay. We're not going to be incinerated next week or next year or a decade or a hundred years from now. But we're going to survive. We're going to be okay. We're going to get our collective shit together and we're going to go out to the stars and explore. Right. And any, anything that any, any, um, threat to us we still have we're still a threat to us because we still have our foibles but our foibles have been really sort of they're i don't want to say lesser but you sort of have two kinds of earth people in star trek represented there's different kinds of earth people because you don't see a lot of just like citizens you know like someone who's just living on earth not until next generation but right. you have you have your Starfleet, and your Starfleet seems to be split into two different types of people. Your Kirks, who are sort of like Renaissance men, you know, they're interested in everything, and they're full of you know the joy of life and energy and and explorers and and you know they they you know and and Kirk gets run down as being like this you know sort of general type captain but kirk was a reader and uh of you know literature and he was he was Mm well-rounded and then the other aspect was the sort of officious part of of starfleet who were kind of annoying because they were just kind of wimpy and officious and stuff but they were still operating under a really sort of good set set of rules you know Starfleet had their rules of like this is how we're gonna comport ourselves as human beings in the universe with these other creatures some of them are other races some of them are gonna be hostile some of them are gonna be friendly but we figured out how to do this and and do it right in the way that we you know that we feel is right and it might we might be like kind of this naive species because we've gotten our shit together and now we're going out to like be nice to everybody else but we're not stupid you know we, there's gen, you know we have weapons and stuff by that time because we know there's going to be klingons you know people who are warlike and and such like that but we have these strict rules to deal with that you know and mm-hmm. then we take it as it comes and using those rules as a thing and so so starfleet becomes very officious but when you think about it it's very important as ambassadors of an entire planet and race of people that if you screw things up you could send an invasion armada to your planet you know then they'll just wipe people out so they're you know that they're they're officious pricks but they're making sure that all the eyes are dotted and t's crossed mm-hmm. and then you have the kirks to do all the uh, quote unquote dirty work or you know to 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 put on the front end you know to put in the in the out in the wilderness and uh and kirk i think is like a sort of younger there's there's other people like kirk 
and you notice there, he'll run into other captains that are sort of the same sort of person. They're all like a good 10, 20 years older than him, though. Right. You know, so he's kind of a throwback. But, um, yeah, and it's a whole it's a whole way of thinking that's been... It, it, I don't know, Voyager and Enterprise seem like they were getting it back a little bit, but it sounds like D- DS9 tossed it out in the Abrams movies, don't even address it, you know? Right. They address the Prime Directive as a throwaway joke, basically, and that's about it. Or as a, as a little plot device. So, yeah, and and the thing about that is to lose that is to lose the core of Trek. <laughs> Basically. I agree. But no, I, I don't, agree you know, Deep, Deep Space Nine wouldn't have had as many people watching it if it wasn't called Star Trek. Mm-hmm. And, and it says something about it that they had to introduce. Well, I don't know if they had to, but they felt like introducing lots of sexy time and uh, next generation characters into it yeah sort of beef it up it sound that's what that's the impression i got it was like yeah we got this show let's throw these people in and it sounded like from what you're saying that it actually worked it It did for them because usually that backfires horribly it's usually awkward and sad but no it, it actually it actually did work for them that uh you know that wharf you know, from everything I've ever read, you know, Michael Dorn became very accepted by the rest of the cast. That you know, I don't, I'm not aware of anybody that felt resentful or anything I that they brought him in, and he effectively saved the series really because well, it suddenly be like it got on, really good. It would be like if you're on Next Gen, and all of a sudden, you know, Spock was on it. There, mm-hmm. there'd be nobody on Next Gen would be like, I don't know, I don't want to work with Nimoy. That could be awkward. They'd be just like Spock, <laughs> right? But not that, not that. Um, well, Worf, I guess, is comparable to Spock in a lot of ways. Oh, very much so. It's, yeah, it's, and I think Worf is one of the great characters from Next Generation. So, mm-hmm. you know, you can't go wrong. And hey, man, Michael Dorn needs to eat, and he's great as Worf. And if he's willing <laughs> to sit down and put that makeup on. For every episode after doing it for seven seasons of the next generation then then yeah let him do it yep he's one of the only characters that can really keep can keep doing can keep going because he has so much makeup you know i mean i was thinking about that i'm like no wonder there's been no more next generation movies you can't even get brett you could you could not involve brett spiner because you can't have an aging data. Unless, right. You know, you could come up with some stupid thing of like data's like, I want to age, so I've been, you know, adjusting my body and stuff, but everybody's bullshit detector is going to just start honking up a horn on that one. <laughs> so I'm glad. I'm glad that they've let those that sleeping dog lie. But man. I heard. I would love another TV show. I think that's where it lives, really. I heard something recently. It was, I think, it was on Facebook or something. I don't know how much truth there was to it about uh, 
Dorn, I don't know if he was bucking for a new show or in negotiations for a new show or something. There was something discussed he, with him in Star Trek, but yes. I don't know what it was all about. No, I know. I, I, I read that too, and it was some sort of Kickstarter y thing or something. Oh, maybe that was it. Yeah. Somebody had come up with a script for something, and he didn't think it would be any good, and he read it, and he's like, I would do this. And yeah, but that's about all I know. Uh, the, some vague post I read on Facebook a while ago so don't quote me on any of that <laughs> you know, we were talking, anybody quotes me on anything anyway we were talking before about the characters what, what were the other characters that uh, that you were wondering about in the series um what's the d- deal with Rene Zombies? <laughs> He uh, he was another character that I really liked on the show, but uh, he's a hostile we were... prick, man. That's all I think <laughs> about him. Is he was just like rrr, 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 every, yeah. every go. Something about his voice was annoying me too. Yeah, he, he was affecting a very gravelly demeanor on you know, the show. You know what I think of every time I see him? This is going to be awful. Only to you and not to anybody else, unless he's listening. David Shell. Really? No, I don't see it. That nose. Oh, the nose? <laughs> David Shell had one of those noses where it looked like someone took the thinnest skin you could ever get and just stretched it <laughs> as tight as you could over his nose. You know what I mean? It looked like baby mouse skin almost. That's what that guy reminds me of. His personality doesn't remind me of David Shell at, at all. Just his schnoz. Yeah, Odo was an interesting character because I I think he was I think he was meant to be the you know Spock or Data or maybe even Worf character for DS9 the person who was and really I, like out of his element Yeah, you know the 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 outsider, the alien, the freak kind of exploring the human condition kind of thing. I don't know that it ever really worked. Um that's not to say I didn't like the character. I did. I liked him a lot. But he was a he was kind of a weird one because he somehow or other he had become the station cop. So that's why uh Cisco calls him constable all the time because oh, okay. he was the, he was the constable. He policed the station. He was the head security dude on the station. And he's a shape changer, so he can become anything. But he can't assume a, a human face which I always thought okay that's really stupid because you see in over the course of the series he becomes every damn thing he turns into like you know uh, birds and just all kinds of crazy shapes yeah, that he so takes that, yeah. but he can't assume a human face and I always thought okay that's just that's they were just trying to simple. avoid it making it too easy of a plot device I guess right and you, you learn way late in the series, you know, because he didn't he didn't know what his origins were. So I forget the entire backstory, but somehow or other he wound up on the station not really knowing who or what he was and just lived there and became the station security guy. But later in the series, uh, you do learn his origins. More of his people come into play and everything and... Uh, it, it was it was semi interesting. It wasn't the most interesting. Why um, would you hire a security guy of who is just some? Isn't it supposed to be some sort of secret installation? I don't think so. It, it had been 
But it's some you, sort of high security. Yeah, you would think so. So why he, would you uh, want to hire your head of security as just, oh, this guy's been hanging around a while. Right, yeah. It, it was a weird situation Background because check. that station and the reason it looks the way it does and it looks completely different from everything we've seen so far was that originally it was built and run by the Cardassians when they were occupying the planet Bajor. And when we first start DSI, when the series first starts, they've just left. The occupation is over and they left and they abandoned the station. So Starfleet moves in and they're there to basically help the, the Bajoran people pick up the pieces and, and you know kind of bring them into the fold essentially. If I'm remembering properly, I think Odo was always there. He was the he was the station constable even under the Cardassians. So I don't know how the hell that works. I, I, he just inherited the job and stuck around, I guess. I, I really can't remember now. And like I say, I like the character, but never found his, his whole story compelling enough to really commit it to memory. You know what I mean? Yeah. He, he was just kind of an interesting character. I like Rene Abergerois. That's one of the reasons I, I kind of followed the character. But yeah, he, he has a, a, a kind of abrasive... Um, personality and abrasive way to him with most of the other characters. About the only one he really gets on good with is uh, is Kira, who we didn't see much of in this episode. She was the uh, the pregnant woman that stayed behind on the ship through most of this episode. She was a character I liked quite a bit. Uh, she's a bitch at first, but over the course of the series, you come to really like her. At least I did, anyway. I wanted to see more of the guy trying to <laughs> be his own grandpa. His own great grandpa, yeah. He's probably. I like that. He was so horny. He's like, maybe I have to do this. Maybe. See, I'm trying to think of all the different characters in the show off the top of my head and taking a quick mental inventory. Next to Dax, he's probably my second favorite character because I liked Bashir a lot because he was kind of the. He was kind of the everyman, but he also had a little bit of check off to him in the aspect yeah. of. He seemed like he was out in space for the adventure of yeah. it. You know what I mean? He he really liked, you know, the potential to, uh, you know, explore and and be on kind of the frontiers yeah, of, of medicine. Like yeah, yeah. He he becomes a really interesting character later on. He he was kind of a slow burn, you know, getting going and finding his character. But eventually, he he was one of the more interesting characters well, in the he, series. He looks more like an everyman. You know, he's yeah. not a big you know, built person or, you know, a physical, physically imposing actor or anything. He's just a guy. He could be a Star Trek fan. Most likely what's, was. <laughs> what's funny is I don't know if they're still together or anything, but, and I'm not even sure if it's the baby she's pregnant with in, in this episode or not, but he and Kira in real life they did hook up and they had a child together but again I don't know if it's the pregnancy that she's showing in the, in this episode or not but they never hooked up on the show but behind the scenes they were actually together which was really kind of funny because I, I could never see the two of them together because in the show they didn't like each other they didn't get along so I always thought that was pretty funny that outside of the show it was a completely different relationship obviously I remember that that sort of threw me for a loop because it's like oh all of a sudden there was a character and she turned and she was pregnant and I was like 
is this supposed to mean something? And then I'm like, oh, this is just something that's going on in the story that I don't know anything about because it just sort of came out of nowhere. And I was like, no, she didn't get pregnant here, so it's definitely not part of the storyline. <laughs> didn't happen that fast. It's too late in the story to be introducing. <laughs> they found a really clever way to do that, too, because, of course, she's pregnant in real life in mm -hmm. those scenes. Right. So, But in the series, like I say, she's kind of a bitch. She never really had a steady man, so when she started to show, they had to come up with a, you know, what, what how are they going to explain this? They couldn't just write her out of the show for nine months, you know, so, you know, she was vital to the show. What were they going to do? And they actually came up with a pretty clever thing where um, uh, O'Brien, you know, he's married. Uh, we're going to see that much later on Next Gen, you know, when right. he gets married. But he uh, he's married, and they're having another child. And his wife is on a, a shuttlecraft with Kira and some other characters. Something happens. There's an accident. And the ship, I don't know, it's going to blow up or something. And so they've got to beam everybody off. And I'm trying to remember why. Something happens where I, I think it's like they can't beam her or something. Damn, I, it's been so long. I can't remember the exact circumstances. Anyway... Long story short, Kira ends up having to become like an emergency surrogate mother for O'Brien's wife because something happens because of this accident and they don't want to lose the baby. So she takes the baby and then carries the baby to term for them. So it was, I mean, it was a clever way of working around it, I guess. Yeah, that's weird. Yeah. Just beam the baby into her womb. Some, I think, yeah, I think that's what they do essentially, if I remember right. It's not something to that effect, anyway. But it was, you know, it was a clever way of working around. It was, you know, as much as you can work around something like that without yeah. becoming, you know, too much of a stretch or what. <laughs> but they, they managed to work with it. But uh, I'm trying to think, of, you know, of course, the other carry you got uh, O'Brien, who's a carryover from mm -hmm. um, Next Gen. He's there right from the get go because he actually transfers to. DS9 late in uh, in next gen so he's there from the get go and who else is in this one that's pretty much everybody really there were other characters in the series that blessedly you know thank god we really don't get in this one because like the, the bartender the bartender he never says a word and that's just the way I like him I can't stand Quark he's another reason that uh that DS9's down on my list because there's way too many friggin' Ferengi episodes. I, I just I don't I don't like the Ferengi and I really don't like Quark. What and what's funny is I like Armin Zimmerman. I think he's a good actor. I just didn't like the character. And then he had a brother that was an idiot and I didn't like him. And then Cisco's son take Wesley Crusher and Jar Jar Binks. Oh dear God! And combine the two of them, and that's pretty much Cisco's son. Yes. And you just want him to die, like <laughs> miserably. And I, yeah, I could not, I could not stand Jake Cisco. He was easily one of TV's most annoying characters ever. So yeah, like I said, I probably sound like I'm way too Dark down Park on the series. With but young adults, yeah, yeah, yeah. He Keeping was appealing young adult characters. Oh, you know, it'd make a really good episode, though, is put Jake Sisko and uh, Wesley Crusher into a deathmatch ring and make make them fight for it. That'd be awesome. I'd watch that. 
I wouldn't even care who won, won or lost, as long as one of them wound up dead. So if we bonus, ever get, if they both wind up dead, <laughs> if we ever get rich and famous, and there's a Star Trek show on TV again, let's try to get so we can write a special episode where they do this basically with the enemy within. <laughs> that would be awesome. With who? Oh, that would be awesome. Hey, that's the, that's the third new new Trek movie. Enemy Within? It's the Enemy Within, except they go back to the original Enemy Within to figure out how to fix Kirk, who's enemy with, enemied within, and so you have four Kirks. <laughs> you know, I, I'm, I could actually be down for that. <laughs> right? Right? I could be down for that. Right? <laughs> Two of them would be Shatner anyway. <laughs> I think I could be down for that. Well, I think we're getting right about to that time. Yep, I got my list out. Okay. Firing up the old computer. And, ooh, it spit out a low number. Uh-oh. Eight. Number eight is... Miri. We've okay, we've that. already done that. Didn't we do... We, that was one we did to get... That we actually did the... Uh, a commentary on Miri. Did we? I think so. I think we might have done that one when I was up in uh, or down in Florida visiting you. Oh, I think you're right. I think you're right. All right, let me see if we can. We've been hitting them right off the bat. 54. 54 is the Tholian Web. Did it. Yep. All right, computer, do your stuff. 62? 62 is Day of the Dove. We have done that one. God damn it, computer. There's some of these I still have on the list that I think we have done, though, so I I need to update my list. I, I know somebody... Painstakingly made us a list on the. Uh, oh, right. Floor. I need um, to go back and look at that at some point. Twenty-four. Twenty-four is. Hmm. Have we done this one? This side of paradise. What was that one about? I think you know what. Let me look it up real quick. I think that. that's the one with the triffids that squirt the the stuff in Kirk's face and make everybody go bonkers. Isn't that the one? I hope so. Have we done that one, though? Oh, no. We have not done that one? No. I would have rem- remembered that title anyway. You're sure we haven't done this one? Because I would have had to done a Photoshop of it. Because this is the one where, where Spock falls in love with um, Charles Bronson's wife. Yeah, this is, this, is, this is You Belong in the Circus, right next to the dog face. Yes. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> So you're sure we haven't done this one? I'm absolutely positive we haven't. All right, I'm going to trust you. Yep, this is the one. On Omicron City 3, Kirk and a landing party find a surpri- uh, pleasant surprise. Yep, this is the one. With the flowers, with the triffids. Uh, I do like this one. This, yep, this is a good one. Where everybody wigs out. Grin and Nimoy hanging upside down from a tree. Kirk has his little his little freakout moment. He's about to beam down, and all of a sudden he gets all mad. No, I can't 
leave. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> that should be fun. That should be a good one. Hi. All right, guys. <laughs> we'll be back next time with some. Ah, oh, it's a good. It'll be a hammy one. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Hammy from Miami.
you can sponsor an episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows. Simply click the PayPal link on our website, donate any amount at all, tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy, and there is no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at 2TrueFreaks.com to shop there. If you use this link to go to Amazon and then you shop, 2TrueFreaks gets a little cut of what you buy and it doesn't cost you anything extra. So you get to shop as usual and help out the 2TrueFreaks at the same time. Welcome to Amazon. I love you. Visit our brand new website at 2TrueFreaks.com. 2TrueFreaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. Join our forum at ForumForGeeks.com, where you can discuss all of the shows on our feed with us and your fellow listeners. You can find 2TrueFreaks on Facebook. Just search for 2TrueFreaks. And hey, you can friend me, Scott Gardner, on Facebook, too. My name is spelled S-C-O-T-T-G-A-R-D-N-E-R. You can friend me on Facebook, too, if you can find me. Now available, Two True Freaks t-shirts. See our website for details. Two True Freaks is a very proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. You can check that out at www.comicspodcast.com, where you can hear our new episodes when we put them up. We are also members of the League of Comic Book Podcasts. For more information, visit comicbooknoise.com slash league. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? Thanks for listening, and join us every Monday for new episodes of Two True Freaks. finally invited aboard one of these spacecraft, which landed near Ann Arbor, Michigan on October the 24th of 1954. This is a drawing of the craft. As I was leaving the craft, the commander, Soltek, said, soon others of your people will be able to have an experience similar to this.